This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. A few months ago, I was in Texas and I went with my dad to a funeral home. He wanted me to go with him so he could take care of everything, make sure everything was taken care of ahead of time, pick out the caskets, pick out the colors for him and mom, do the whole deal about what part would the funeral home do and what cemetery would they be buried in. And we actually have in Texas, my family, we have, uh, it's like a family cemetery. And so that's one of the perks. I told Angie, hey, if you marry me, you, you have a grave plot in Texas. Don't know if you want to use it, but we have a family cemetery. But as we were walking out of the funeral home that day, it was a, it was a strange feeling. He wanted me there because I'm his oldest child, his oldest son, and I'm a pastor. So he wanted me to know what he wanted when it comes to his funeral service and moms and what all that needed to look like. But as we were leaving the funeral home and we walked out to get in the car right across the street there is the cemetery for that funeral home. And there's just something about a cemetery that's different than anything else. There's something about walking through a cemetery, being around a cemetery that, that captures us and shifts our focus in a different way. All of a sudden, for a moment at least, and sometimes we try to ignore it, but for a moment at least, we think about our priorities. We think about how quickly life passes by. We, we think about, am I living my best priorities? And as a pastor, I've... I've had the privilege of walking with a lot of families through very painful moments and through uh, funerals. And one thing I know is at every single funeral, there's always more than one dead person. In every crowd, there are some who are spiritually dead. There, There are some who their relationships have died. There are others who their hope for the future has died or a dream has died. For many, possibilities have died over and over and over again in their lives. And as we've walked through 2020, it's been eight months since we've had live gatherings until today. Eight months to the day. March the 8th was the last time we've met. Since we've walked through this season, what is it in your life that died? Nobody ever thought 9, 10, 12 months ago, a year ago, nobody could have imagined what we've walked through. And in this season that's been so, so different than anything we've ever experienced, I know for a lot of people, They've lost loved ones. But for more people, some other things have died. So when hope has vanished, when life looks different than you ever thought it would, when you have no idea what to do or where to turn, what do you do? What do you do when something inside you has died. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is John chapter 11, 
where Jesus, one of his closest friends, Lazarus, dies. I, I love this passage because I think there's so much we can glean from it. And I believe, I believe today God is going to use this passage to speak to you. I know he's used it to speak to me in very specific ways. John chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When they didn't know what else to do, and when Lazarus was sick at a level that he may not make it, you you sense in the text almost this internal panic. You've been there. This is the moment that if you pray, you do that. If you don't pray, you try that. You desperately need to do something because nobody ever wants someone they love to die. So they sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. And Mary and Martha, they're they're thinking, okay, Jesus, we know you can do something about this. We've seen you do some things. We've heard about you doing so much more. We need some help And we need it now. Now notice verse 4 in John chapter 11. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what would you do? Can you imagine getting a message, the one you love is sick? For me, I'm thinking Angie, I'm thinking my kids, my, my, my grandkids, I'm thinking somebody close. Okay, the one you love is sick. This isn't somebody sick. This isn't, oh, that person you've met or you barely know is sick. The one you love is sick. If you get word and you can do something about it, you can help in some way, you're there. You're there. But, but notice what Jesus does. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. He stayed where he was two more days. But he makes the statement earlier in that passage, this will not end in death. He's saying, hey, I I know it looks bad now, but it's not going to end the way you think it will. It's not going to go the way it looks like it's going. In spite of what you see, don't panic. Because there's something happening behind the scenes that God knows about and that God's aware of. Because every single time it looks bad, there's always something happening behind the scenes that God's aware of and that God knows about. There's always more to what I can see than what I see. Always. But I understand the desperation. We understand. You understand the pain, the, the fear. Because we feel death in a way like we feel nothing else. It can even be somebody that we barely know. There's just something about that moment at the cemetery. So what about you? Today, are you facing some things that it seems like it's going the wrong way? That when you look at the circumstances you're walking in, everything looks bad right now. And you don't understand and you don't know what's going on. And in this moment, could it be that God is simply saying to you, This sickness, this thing that's happening in your life, it doesn't look good right now, but it's not going to end in death. It's what 
It's what we love. It's what we're drawn to. These are the stories that pull us in. It's, it's why we love Rocky. Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 27. They just kept making them. We love those stories where things look hopeless and then something changes. Something happens. Rocky is getting annihilated. But he has this strategy. And then all of a sudden, everything turns around and he wipes out his enemy. And, and we love those stories. We love that because we want that. Because so often in life, we feel like we're getting pummeled. And we have a strategy. And we try different strategies. And this strategy doesn't work. And that strategy doesn't work. And this strategy doesn't work. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to believe the best. I'm just going to pour myself into it more. I'm going to try it a different way this time. And we try strategy after strategy. And we, we often in life can't seem to find our footing and find the strategy that works. And so when we see in a movie somebody that finds a strategy that works and they're being pummeled by life and all of a sudden it turns around, we, we love that because we want that. And right now, you may be absorbing blow after blow. You may have been knocked down in life more times than you can remember. And in this moment, you may feel like you're, you're back on your heels and you're just taking it because you have no other choice and it doesn't look good for you. You're thinking this isn't going to end well. I wonder today if God could simply be saying to you, hey, this will not end in death. Because I think as Christ followers, we have to remember that in my weakness, he is strong. And what he's going to do will be undeniable that he did it because sometimes in life we're in those moments that the only way we make it through is if God does something. He's, he's involved, he's working, and he's about to reveal his strength and his purpose and his plan and his love for you. And, and you may be out of power and you may be out of options, but our God is always more than able. You're not in the ring alone. You're writing the story of your life, but there is a ghost writer really writing it for you. And there's no one better at writing these stories than him. And your life is a story that those close to you are going to want to read because of what God's going to do. Lazarus dies. And that can really mess you up if you were one of the disciples. Imagine you heard Jesus say, this won't end in death. And then Lazarus dies. Because sometimes we hear God's words through our definitions and context rather than His. We get stuck often in what looks final to us. And we miss the fact that our God specializes in overcoming what looks final. It's our God who defeated death. And His ways are above our ways, so we hang on and lean into faith. And remember, in this life, you will walk through many moments when it looks like it's over. But it's never over. Angie and I, when we watch movies together, there's this thing that happens where she's very intuitive. And early on, maybe we've never seen the movie before, early on, she can always sort of figure out where it's going and what the storyline's going to be. And I'm the one sitting there and I'll, I'll look at Angie constantly through the movie and say, what's happening? What, what does that mean? What, what are they doing? Right? How does that fit in? Because I, I never understand. And I remember, I remember she always figures it out early and I'm always the one that's clueless. Uh, do you remember the movie, The Sixth Sense? I see dead people. 
I remember she figured out early on and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But finally, toward the end and after her explaining, I kind of got it. I see dead people. Hey, as a pastor. I see dead people. I see dead people in every crowd. I see dead people in every gathering. I see dead people every time I go to the mall. Remember when we could do that? Hopefully that's going to be happening very soon again. I see dead people at ball games. I see dead people in the neighborhood. I see dead people everywhere I go. I see dead people. People who are alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. I see dead people. And so do you. If you look closely, For many people, there's a hollowness behind the eyes. There's an emptiness of the soul. There's a vacancy of the spirit. And there's almost a panicked grasping for life. And if I can can get this car, if I can get that job, if I can date that person, if I can make this much money, but it all is so shallow and so very temporary in light of eternity. Some people that I see are relationally dead. They, they roll through life and never have deep friendships. They keep every relationship on, on, on the surface, at a surface level. Nothing goes deep because there's no life there and they won't let it. Others I see are sometimes dead in their marriages. They live at the same address but not in the same love. They're wearing the weariness of heaviness in the relationship. You see, and I see, people that are often just existing. And in these last eight months, while we've been distracted by concern, while we've been chasing information, which seems to be ever-changing about what to do and how to make it through this, while we've poured ourselves into certain distractions, we've drifted in a lot of ways for a lot of people to just floating through life, hoping someday it will get better, but year after year it hasn't. Year after year it's been the same. And then 2020. And we see dead people. Lazarus dies. So in verses 5 through 16 in chapter 11, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and then he dies. Jesus waits two days after he hears to make the journey to see the one that he loved and the ones that are in need that have asked for him. And he tells his disciples, hey guys, we're going back to Judea where Lazarus lives. And the disciples are kind of like, hold on, last time we were there, they tried to kill you. Can we pick a different city? Let, let's do something big for God, but let's do it in a safer place. It's, it's not safe there. But, but can, can it ever be unsafe in the presence of Jesus? And when they arrive, they encounter this crowd who's grieving because Lazarus has died. And even in their grief, they're, they're alive on the outside, but something inside them has died. Has something inside you died 
Because there are some death traps that I see in this passage. Thomas, Thomas is one of the disciples. He's very close to Jesus. He's one of the disciples that makes this journey with Jesus. And Thomas is known for doubting. Thomas is the guy that has a hard time reconciling logic and faith. And you'll always have a hard time reconciling logic and faith when you lean into logic instead of faith. Thomas was a chronic doubter. That was his default position. Thomas was dying in his doubts. And notice what he says about this particular trip to Judea when he finds out about it. Thomas in verse 16 of John chapter 11. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is going to be bad. Let's just follow Jesus. We're going to die with him. That's how it's going to go. Because Thomas, Thomas had that mentality of things are not good and they're probably going to get worse because that's what usually happens. It's his mentality. He's dying in his doubts. Are you, are you dying in your doubts? Maybe you can relate to Thomas. Jesus, you're supposed to be with us, but I don't feel you. And it's been a long time since I've experienced sensing your presence. And maybe you've been praying and nothing's happened and you're thinking, God, I'm praying. Are you even there? God, I'm walking in this kind of pain and I'm trying to look to you. Are are you even real? Is it just me, God, that you won't help? Because I I hear about you helping other people and I've I've read about great things you did in history and I I, I know I've had people tell me about how you've answered their prayers. Is, is Is it just me? Are you in a season of dying in your doubts? Thomas was. And then, then I noticed Martha. On his arrival, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. The body is beginning to decompose. There is a smell at this point that nobody wants that aroma in their nostrils. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, isn't that what you've thought? God, if if you'd been here, if you had just shown up, if you had done what those things on the resume of God would say that you're able to do because you're God, if you had been here, notice what she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But... I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. How many times? God, how many times do I have to to pray about this? How many times do I have to ask you about this? How many times do I have to express my concern and my need? And it's like you don't even show up. If, If you had just been there, if you had just done this, this would not have happened. What took God so long. Jesus, you could have at least showed up on time. See, Martha is dying a very common death. She's not alone in this. She, she's dying this slow, painful, disappointing death. She's dying in her waiting. Waiting. Are you dying in your waiting? We don't like waiting. We can't stand waiting. We live in an instant society where we chase instant. In fact, the way we capture life is on this device. 
We take pictures and instantly on Instagram, we're able to immediately capture life and put those pictures up where we can see it. It happens instantly. But it hasn't always been like that. Used to when I was a kid, it was captured on this. And you might be thinking, what what is that? Is that a tiny camera? Is there a camera in there? How do you do that? This is 35 millimeter film. Now, back in the day, you would take this like way back in the day, you would take this and you would actually put it in a camera and you would take between 24 and 36 pictures, something like that. And then when that, when you were done taking the pictures, you would take it out of the camera, you would put it back in this little container, you would get in your car and you would drive to Walmart or to a drugstore and you would drop this off and you would leave it with them for three to five days. In today's culture, boom, instant. In that culture, you would drop it off and leave it for three to five days, having no idea what the pictures were going to look like. And they would process that film. And it would take three to five days to even see, hey, did I just take a picture of the wall? Did I? You had no idea what the pictures were, but you're, you're paying for this, and you're hoping you get at least some decent pictures back. And what's interesting is when this film is being developed, for this to be developed, It has to go into a dark room. And if the door opens and any light comes in and exposes what's happening on the film, it it ruins it ruins the image that could have been there. We want God to work like this. But God works like this. And it's in the waiting. If God wants to do something significant in your life, it's in the waiting. God takes you into a dark room where nobody can see how the image of Jesus is being pressed into your life and brought into your life in a certain area or a certain way in your thinking and how you process things in the change of your temperament and how you view other people. You, You go into the dark room and in the dark room, you don't even see what God's doing. But when he's doing something significant, it's in the waiting, which feels like wasting. But it's never wasting when you're in God's dark room. The waiting. And you know what's interesting about waiting? Waiting, waiting begins with hope. But over time, if we have to keep waiting, that, that hope tends to fade. It, it passes. Waiting. It's, it's the four days. It seems like the death has already happened and it's too late and, and you've been waiting and you were praying and you were doing the best that you could and you were trying to live right and make all the wise decisions and nobody's perfect, but you, you even see growth and progress in your life and what you're trying to do. But somebody else got the job. Somebody else bought the house. Somebody else married the girl. Somebody else was able to have a baby. And you were praying and you even made God some promises that you told him if you would do everything you could. You would do everything he would want you to do. If he would just come through for you in this one thing, you've leveraged all of your emotional and spiritual energy. You've slid all your chips to the center of the table. You went all in. But you're still waiting. In so many areas of life, it's the last eight months. 
You've done everything you know to do. You've been asking God to heal you physically and it hasn't happened. You've been asking God to rescue you financially and it hasn't happened. You're living at the address of waiting. And there's nothing that feels more like living in a cemetery than waiting. And in your waiting, you're dying. There's one verse. It's tucked away in the Old Testament in in a place that we rarely read, in a book that we rarely read go to you you don't see phrases on instagram come up verses from this book typically it's one of those rare ones that we don't typically go to but sometimes you you find treasure in places you've not been to before and so lamentations chapter 3 verse 26 says this and for some of you this right here is just for you and before time began god knew you would be watching in this moment Lamentations chapter 3, verse 26 says, It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, quietly, we think, paints a picture of being passive, passively waiting. You just wait. No, waiting often involves some activity. Because when it comes to God, there's some promises that, he, that he's made. You read them in scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Plans of health and a future and God using you. You read the promises where God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. All these scriptures full of promises for those of us that are Christ followers. You've got the promise. But you've been waiting for the payoff. And what we tend to forget is in between the promise And the payoff, there's a process. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 18 tells the story of what was happening. There had been no rain for three and a half years. And Elijah, God's prophet, is asking for rain. And God says, okay, Elijah, I'm going to send rain. Rain is coming. And so Elijah takes his servant to the edge of Mount Carmel, and he says, I I want you to go to the top of the mountain, and I want you to look toward the sea and tell me what you see. So the servant says, okay, and so he climbs the mountain. He goes to the top of the mountain, and he looks out toward the sea. He thinks, wow, there's nothing. So he comes all the way back down the mountain and comes up to Elijah, and and he says, hey, uh, I didn't see anything. And Elijah says, Go again. So a servant goes and he starts to climb the mountain and he gets to the top of the mountain and he looks toward the sea and wow, nothing. And he comes back down the mountain and I, I've, I've got to go back and I've got to tell Elijah. I've got to tell him again. I didn't see anything. And three chapters right before this, Elijah killed about 400 people because he got mad. I hope he doesn't get mad at me. I can't help it. There's nothing there. I'm just going to deliver the message. I didn't see anything. And he comes to Elijah. Elijah says, what did you see? Nothing. And Elijah says to him this time, go again. And so he goes back. Doesn't see anything, goes back. Go again. He goes back. Doesn't see anything, comes back. Go again. He goes back. Doesn't see anything, comes back. And then Elijah says, go one more time seven times this is the seventh time and he climbs Mount Carmel and he gets to the top of the mountain and he looks toward the sea and he sees something 
okay, I saw something. I've got to tell Elijah. And he begins to come back down the mountain. And on his way coming back down the mountain toward Elijah, he's probably thinking, okay, I saw something. It's small. It it seems insignificant. It's not much, but I saw something. I'm going to tell him I saw something. And he comes to Elijah, and Elijah says, what do you see? And he says, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, go tell Ahab to get all of his chariots ready because by this time tomorrow there will be a flood. Some of you, you've been trying. And you know you're not perfect, none of us are, but you've been trying. And you've just been waiting. You don't know what else you can do You try to spend some time with God each day and at least read a few verses. You pray, and some days you pray more than others, but there's this ongoing conversation with God. There's no doubt in your mind you've expressed to God what the needs are in your life and the thing that you so desperately need God to show up, and it feels like He's late, and it feels like He doesn't care. You've done the best you can. You've tried different parenting techniques with that child. You've tried to function in different ways and be as dependable as you can at the office. You've done everything you know how to do. You can't think of anything else to do. You're trying to live a life that honors God. What do you do? Go again. And go again. And go again. Because the scriptures are full of promises from a loving God. And he always delivers on the payoff unless you and I interrupt the process. You go again and you continue to trust. You go again tomorrow and you try one more time. You continue to go again in being kind. You go again in forgiving. You go again in loving. You just go again and again and again. And one day you'll see something. And it may be small. Sometimes when we see just a small cloud in the distance, we dismiss it because we think it's not enough. But from God, He always brings significant things out of small things. And God has not forgotten you. This entire moment, again, before time began, God knew what I would be saying today, what He would want me to say. He knew that you would be listening, and none of it has anything to do with me. It's what He wanted to say to you. I'm just a messenger. And what He's saying is, go again. He hasn't forgotten His promise. Maybe you've been dying in your doubts. Maybe you've been dying in your waiting. And God is just saying, go again. The payoff's coming. The way that happens, and the only way it can ultimately happen, is if we have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's what God offers. He wants to know you in a personal way. And so maybe today, the next step you need to take in your spiritual journey is to become a Christ follower so that God can take something very small And make it significant in your life. So that you can experience the payoff of all of the promises in scripture for the Christ follower. So that you can continue to go again and trust God and lean into faith. If that's the next step you need to take. Becoming a follower of Jesus. Connecting with God in a personal intimate way. I want to encourage you just to pray a simple prayer. Just bow your head and close your eyes and pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you.
Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. God, as best I know how, I commit my life to you and want to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. First of all, I want to say welcome to the family of God. But if you prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. I want to invite you to just shoot me a text. You'll see a number here on the screen. Shoot me a text so that I can be praying for you by name. Just your first name is all you need to send in that text. And I'll be praying for you by name this week. 407-487-8311. Shoot me that text. And know that I'll be praying for you as we roll through the week. Hey, I can't wait to see you next Sunday. If you can join us, be sure and pre-register. Right now, everyone's required to register because of all the, the precautions and all the safety and everything we need to do and, and be involved in in this season. But you can go to c3church.cc forward slash gather and join us next Sunday. This Sunday filled up quickly. Next Sunday is going to be packed. So register quickly. And I can't wait to see you next Sunday. Have an amazing week. God bless you. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at giveC3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.